Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everybody? We are live with the awesome Waiver Wire Show, the Week 10 edition. I'm your host, Matt Kajeski, and I'm here with Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Kajeski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Today's show is sponsored by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports, the most trusted name in fantasy sports. Yahoo DFS now includes CSV upload and CSV edit features for those looking to play multiple lineups. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy. And of course... Before we get started, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell so you know when this and all of their content goes live. Of course, today we are talking waiver wire gems, what to do ahead of week 10. Kyle, my man, how are you doing? I was I was super excited to see McCaffrey come back to the field. And you know what? McCaffrey goes down with a shoulder injury. I'm not sure we have a definitive timetable on that, but man, how tragic was that? I know it's difficult because he not only does he come back, but the report that surfaced in the morning that was that he might split work with Mike Davis seemed to be just completely wrong. We were getting 100% of that vintage, that like mm, that 1990 Pinot Noir Christian McCaffrey. And then they just took it away from us. And yeah, I'm not sure what the timetable is right now. They're saying day to day. It does look like this week would be a bit of a long shot given that every report is a caveat that, you know, this week is greatly in doubt. So I don't think we see him this week. If anyone cut Mike Davis, which, you know, that certainly could have happened, I would check on him. But I do believe that he was kept in most leagues, probably especially on the back of that report that he might actually get some playing time. So, you know, RIP of the Christian McCaffrey owners, it seems like there'll be at least another week without him. Maybe they get him this week, but I think it's more likely that he takes another week off. Yeah, I think you're right. And as we get into the show, of course, waiver wire, we are going position by position. The McCaffrey news is important to our show. We talked about Mike Davis. Of course, if he's available, he's going to be a fantastic pick. But we limit the waiver wire ads to only players that are available in 50% of leagues. So Mike Davis doesn't actually hit our threshold. So kind of just a good note, if for some reason he was dropped in your league, he would automatically be the number one waiver priority for me. But again, he is not available in 50% of seasonal leagues. As we get to the quarterback position and There's a number of injuries, not just McCaffrey. We'll touch on all of these as we go position by position. I think the big news at quarterback heading into week 10 was was Big Ben. And we've seen this before with Big Ben. He's pretty good at battling through injuries. And talk about the drama however you want. But I, I think Big Ben, when he's able to play, he will we also lost Kyle Allen. I'm not sure that's a big deal for for fantasy. I'm not sure a lot of people were playing Kyle Allen anyway. But we also have Garoppolo, Gardner Minshew. Looks like he may have lost his job. As we head to the waiver wire this week, it's an interesting slew of players. Some of them in tough matchups. Some of them maybe in some better matchups than we might think. Who do you really have your eye on this week for waivers? Yeah, so I think I'm looking at a few specific, like if you can find Duke Johnson, I think anytime you can get 
all the carries, like regardless of the matchup, all the carries, all the backfield targets from a running back, and then they're on a good offense, like Duke Johnson is the easy one. So I would say him, ah, man, this is difficult. I think this is maybe where like Duke Johnson's obvious, you know, Gus Edwards, if Mark Ingram doesn't end up playing, he's certainly worth the pickup because he'll split carries on a team that loves to run. I'm going to jump right to the ugly one. I'm going to do it. Kalen Blage. Why does this team hate Joshua Kelly so much? Like, I don't even like Joshua Kelly. We've talked about him on the show before. He seems like you're perfectly at, like perfectly average down the middle grinder. He seems like a Carlos Hyde or something. That's fine. You can be a Carlos Hyde. Go for it. Kalen Blage has been nothing but downright awful throughout his NFL career. And he was a practice squad player with the charges before being called up. How does he get run over Joshua Kelly? I don't even like Kelly, but what is going on? Uh, I think Joshua Kelly, you know, he wasn't the best prospects coming out of school, anything like that. And I think that coaching staff has just soured on him a little bit. It is interesting to see a guy like Kalen Balazs play ahead of him. It's not something I expected to see. But, you know, as we get into the full waiver wire breakdown, I think you guys should be prioritizing running back. Some of the names that Kyle just mentioned off the cuff are going to be some of the most important players. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's start with the the quarterback position. I think, you know, widely streamable position every single week. There are some signal callers on buys this week. You know, Patrick Mahomes is on a buy, among others. If you're looking to the specific position of quarterback, who do you think is the number one priority? So funny. I was just scrolling. Like, I just was at the middle of the show sheet. I was like, I must be at the top of the show sheet. We're on running back at quarterback. So, <laughs> to a, like, I don't think, uh, like, the matchup versus the Chargers is anything, like, perfect. It's not like you're playing Atlanta or, like, Houston or the Vikings have a terrible secondary. But the Chargers put up points, and that's what I care about. And I guess it's a perfect transition from a terrible Chargers player in uh, in Galen Village to any time you face Justin Herbert, you know you're going to be facing a team that puts up points. Tua finally looked good. His first outing was nothing to write home about. It was pretty disappointing. The second outing, I mean, he hung in there, and he ended up, you know, topping Kyler Murray. Obviously not fantasy points. Kyler Murray is a stud. But Tua now, like, after one bad game, it was his first game, a difficult matchup versus the Rams, now looks like not only a competent NFL quarterback, but a a pretty accurate NFL quarterback. And he offers a little bit with his legs, too. So, for me, it's between him and Teddy Bridgewater. And, I like, the only reason I don't even want to, like, include Teddy Bridgewater is we talk about him every single week. Teddy Bridgewater is good. He has a great cast of weapons. Mike Davis, Christian McCaffrey doesn't really matter. And he faces Tampa Bay, who, although they have a difficult defense, the Saints showed us, A, that they're un, like completely not unbeatable. And other teams have showed us that Tampa Bay can put up points on those other teams. So they're a team that can put up points. And although defense, sure, it matters. Does it matter when Teddy Bridgewater is being incredibly accurate and has some of the best pass catching weapons in the league? No, no, not really. So Teddy Bridgewater, just chalk him up as long as he doesn't get over 50%. Will week in, week out be our number one waiver wire at a quarterback and two, a sneaky number two. I'm I'm with you too. And, you know, maybe Teddy Bridgewater has a difficult matchup this particular week against Tampa Bay, but I legitimately think if you've dealt with some quarterback issues, Teddy Bridgewater could be a long-term starter for you down the stretch. Assuming Christian McCaffrey maybe is out just one week, he certainly is a boost to this offense. And we know DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are viable options for Teddy Bridgewater. Week 10 might be a little difficult, but again, Teddy Bridgewater, he's only owned in 41% of leagues. So if he's there, grab him. As far as Tua Tagovailoa and what might be perceived as a difficult matchup for the Chargers, I would just like to point out the Chargers defense is so banged up at this point. Like last week, even Joey Bosa, Casey Hayward, those are two guys that were doubtful and questionable respectively going into the game. They traded away Desmond King. They already had guys like Chris Harris and Derwin James on injured reserves. This is not the Chargers defense we've seen in the past. Tua Tagovailoa, as he slowly rounds into the form, this could be a quiet shootout spot for him. 
if Tua Tagovailoa and Teddy Bridgewater are owned for some reason, maybe we're talking super flex or just overall deep leagues, is there anyone else you have your eye on? Yeah, like Derek Carr is actually good. Like Derek Carr is not like game manager good. Like he's good, good. He's not great, but he's good. And good is good enough on the waiver wire, especially when you face another horribly banged up defense, which is a shame because they do have some talent in Denver. I know last week they were without their top two corners. A.J. Boye and Bryce Callahan could be without them again this week. And uh, even if they are, like it's just the addition of a, a corner or two. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Derek Carr is a good cast of weapons, and like he's playing well. Like, man, this – uh this Nelson Aguilar thing just keeps happening. So, but he looked good on the deep ball. He looks good intermediate. He has good pass catching weapons. His team is putting up points. There's no reason not to like Derek Carr other than the stinky name brand value, which I don't care about. He puts up fantasy points and that's all I want. Yeah, Derek Carr, he is only owned in 42% of leagues. So it seems like people are slowly catching on to him. For whatever reason, he's 1% more owned than Teddy Bridgewater. I don't agree with that, but I yeah. think Derek Carr should be owned. If we're looking at just pure fringe options, a couple names I want to throw in there before we move on to the next position. You know, maybe in some really deep leagues, you have a lot of quarterbacks that are owned. Nick Foles, again, the Bears are downright atrocious at times, but they're passing at the highest rate in the NFL. They get that Minnesota secondary, which, you know, on top of losing four starters to begin the year, they've been very banged up throughout the year. So we're seeing a bunch of rookies and peripheral players start for the Minnesota Vikings. That could be a sneaky shootout. Jake Luton, Lutton, not sure how you pronounce that name exactly. He performed well for Jacksonville last week, and it looks like he's going to get the nod Facing Green Bay, that's another potential shootout spot. Green Bay has been a little bit worse just overall on defense this year. I'm still not confident in the guy making his second start, but he's only 3% owned. Any love for Foles, Lutton as maybe just fringe, deep, deep starters? Yeah, I mean, the Charger or the Chargers, the Bears, they throw a lot. Do they do it that well? No, but like you said, highest pass rate in the league versus one of the worst secondaries in the league. I think it's a fine enough matchup. He's also thrown a touchdown in every single game he's played except for one. So if you're going to lock in like a decent chance, I mean, a pretty good chance of scoring a touchdown and a lot of passing volume, Nick Foles, probably the ugly guy I would go to. I would probably take him over Lutton Luton or the likes of say like a Drew Locke or even like a Kirk Cousins on the other side of the ball. So I think of the like 24% isn't insignificant on Tua and we're getting up towards half with Carr and Bridgewater. Foles should be available in most of your leagues. He's going to pass a lot. He's a good, not great chance, but a pretty good chance of throwing a touchdown. For sure. So to sum up the quarterback position, Kyle and I have Bridgewater, number one. We have Tua Tagovailoa, number two, Derek Carr, number three. And if you're just looking for pure punt plays or you're very, very deep in your leagues, Nick Foles and Jake Lutton would be four and five, respectively. But of course, we have a ton of great stuff going on at Osmo. If you want to check out an Osmo Plus membership, we have tools and content for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Osmo Plus weekly pass for $29.95. This includes full access to all the premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, this premium Slack channel. Only looking to play NFL? Then you can sign up now for a weekly package for $14.95 or give our NFL Weekly Express Pass a shot for $3.95. Stop guessing, start winning. Join Osmo Plus today. The Masters is almost upon us. You can also celebrate the final golf major of the year with an Osmo Plus Platinum Weekly Pass for 50% off when you use the promo code AUGUSTA at checkout. That's one week of everything Osmo Plus has to offer for the price of an NFL Weekly Pass. This includes full access to Osmo Plus features, including player projections, ownership projections, premium slack, lineup builder, basically everything. That's valid through Friday, November 13th. Again, the promo code is AUGUSTA. As we get through the waiver show, Kyle, we have to talk running backs. 
and it's not a great waiver wire week for backs. Some of the injuries we're dealing with, of course, McCaffrey goes down. It doesn't seem long-term for him, but Mike Davis is already owned in 50% of the league, so we can't talk about Mike Davis. We have David Johnson go down, potentially opening up a bell cow roll for Duke Johnson. I'm not sure this is going to be a long-term fix, but even in the current state of running back, you get a one-week bell cow rental. That could be the difference between making the playoffs or missing the playoffs. What do we make of Duke Johnson? Yeah, I already alluded to him, and I guess we'll go all the way in. Like, if David Johnson is out this week, I believe it was only concussion, and it's typically, I mean, at most one or two weeks, it could be zero, but you've got to take these shots. Like you said, that could be the difference between you getting that crucial win and making the playoffs and not doing so, or getting that first round by if you're banged up, but you have good wide receivers and you'd be able to put yourself in a good position. So if you can squeeze out one RB1 Duke Johnson week, you absolutely have to go for that. I think he is the player that you go like the hardest on if you're spending like fab budget and you should be prioritizing him on the waiver. I don't believe they had a backup running back other than Duke Johnson get a touch. And these are backup running backs. I have like literally never heard of. I think it's Buddy Howell. And like, this can't be real. This is a made up player. Colin Glaspia. That's like, they don't He's have real players. <laughs> they don't have real backups. So if they're going to, and they did give Duke Johnson the entirety of the workload, I believe it was 16 carries and four receptions. Duke Johnson has the three down skill set. Does he ever get a chance to use it? Hardly, but this might be the one week where he does. And you have to go all in on that. So I think he's very clearly the number one. Number two is kind of an interesting spot. We've got JD McKissick, who, if you're looking just to get like RB three weeks, probably until the end of the season, JD McKissick could be your guy. He got 14 targets last week. I don't believe that should be the expectation, but six, seven targets per week is not out of the range of outcomes. That puts him into like, I don't know, maybe not James White, but maybe that old school Theo Riddick style of player where he's good enough to get you by. And there are teams that just need to get by at running back. Like we're just not going to see Antonio Gibson unleashed. And as long as that continues to be the case, J.D. McKissick is a viable RB3 candidate. Low, low upside, but fairly high floor as far as you can find in the waiver wire. If you're looking for a bit more production right now, what do you think of Gus Edwards? I'm not sure if we see Mark Ingram this week, but if we don't, obviously Gus Edwards appears to continue to split this work this backfield with J.K. Dobbins. The offense hasn't looked great, but they've sort of managed to get there just on the back of, of running the ball a lot and fairly efficiency, fairly efficiently. Gus Edwards versus J.D. McKissick. This is kind of a, this was the internal debate. Where do you fall in these two? I think you laid it out perfectly. If you need production for the rest of the year, J.D. McKissick is probably your guy. If I want to compare his role to somebody, it kind of reminds me of like an early season Chase Edmonds role where Kenyon Drake is handling the majority of the carries and J.D. McKissick is on the field primarily for pass downs, but he's going to mix in a carry here and there. And I think that's about how comfortable you feel with him. Maybe a tenuous flex. Gus Edwards, if Mark Ingram is out, he's going to see a decent amount of work, maybe 10 to 15 carries depending on the game script. That involves red zone work. But Baltimore is a top five offense as far as running efficiency they're running at the second highest rate in the nfl at least going into last week that may have changed i didn't run those numbers yet but that's going to lead to a lot of carries in the short term as long as mark ingram is out again we're still assuming that we don't have the injury report for this week but mark ingram's injury appeared a little more serious than i think we initially thought another dichotomy outside of our top three back so again that's johnson one mckissick two edwards three None of them are owned in more than 37% of leagues, and that's Edwards topping out at the 37%. Duke Johnson, just 16%, so he is widely available. Get your hands on him if possible. Numbers four and five, I think there could be a little bit of debate here. We have Jordan Wilkins, number four, slightly over Kalen Balazs, number five. And it's an interesting situation where Wilkins, I think, has mainly performed because Jonathan Taylor has underperformed. 
Conversely, Balage comes in with an injury to Justin Jackson. Again, we don't have the timetable on this yet, but I really thought Joshua Kelly was going to be the beneficiary, but it's Kalen Balage. Yeah, like you talked about it earlier, and kind of you know jumped the gun on that. My bad, but uh, Kalen Balage, not a good running back, but does it matter how good you are if you're playing with Justin Herbert as your quarterback? As long as Herbert continues to play the way he's played, this team will be in positions to score week in and week out. And if you're going to be even just the one A, he led the team in snaps and he led the team in carries. Joshua Kelly did get more targets out of the backfield. So if you're going to be the one A runner on a team that is going to consistently put up three touchdowns a game, even four touchdowns a game. Yeah, I think you have to consider Balaj. I think he probably has a higher short-term upside. But uh, Jordan Wilkins, if Jonathan Taylor continues to play the way he's played, which is not very good, like he might actually just continue to grind out 12, 13 carries a game. He'd be the running, like the between the tackles version of J.D. McKissick, where like not a ton of volume as a pass catcher, but as a runner, like you can bank 12, 13 yards. I think he's a even lower floor player than McKissick, but he does kind of fill that same role where you don't love like – you don't see him dominating opponents down the stretch and leading to this amazing playoff victory. But could he get you by if, you know, you're still reeling from the Austin Eckler injury, if you thought you had Christian McCaffrey back and you, you know, got the rug pulled out from under you? Yeah, he could get you by. So I think for that reason, because he has that long-term getting you by status, he can slot in as our number four. Balazs is just like too bad to have any more than number five faith in him. Yeah, you guys can see this is a pretty tough week on the waiver wire. It's not great. It's not great especially at running back. And there's one situation I want to point out that is specifically left off our list. And it is the Chicago Bears situation. If I'm just going to give my take on this, David Montgomery got hurt. Again, it's probably not a long-term injury for him, but behind him, Ryan all scored a touchdown. I think there will be some people interested in Ryan all on the waiver wire. It's not for me. We barely saw David Montgomery be fantasy viable. And now this will probably be some form of a committee between Ryan all and Corderell Patterson functioning as a pass catching back. Do you have any reason to take a stab on a Bears player on the waiver wire, specifically the RBs? No, given the ownership we see on all of these guys, Bellage at 1%, Duke Johnson at 16, you know, 25, 25 for McKissick Wilkins. Like they fall into like the sub McKissick Wilkins tier by a pretty significant amount because I, I think neither of them stand to have a great role. Corderell Patterson would be your McKissick and, you know, Ryan Nall would be your Jordan Wilkins. But I think both of those players like McKissick will function better in the pass catching role, probably have more volume. And if David Montgomery cannot get it done, like why would his backup have much better of a chance to get it done? We've seen David Montgomery have one of the least efficient seasons, like in recent years, honestly, like it's, it's close to Kalen Balazs levels is how bad it is. So if they're going to be splitting an already inefficient backfield, no, not really. And I believe they're the Monday night game and we have a concussion for Montgomery. So he does have an extra day to try and come back from it. There's a chance that you even like, you pri- if you prioritize one of these guys over even like a Balazs or Edwards, that you don't even get any production out of them. So like, no, these guys are pretty firmly off my radar, except in the deepest of deepest of leagues. For sure. I agree with you 100%. A couple speculative ads I just want to throw in there before we move on positions. Tevin Coleman is someone I think maybe you could look to in deeper leagues. I found it notable that he was not placed on injured reserve. Makes me think that Tevin Coleman's injury is more short-term, short-term than long-term. Jermichael Hasty hasn't been it. And Jarek McKinnon, they've shown... I don't know, a willingness, a desire to put him into a timeshare. So Tevin Coleman could be savvy. DeAndre Washington, this Miami Dolphins situation is unsettled. We saw Jordan Mm -hmm. Howard, I mean, still extremely inefficient, but when he falls into the end zone, he'll have a better chance of getting you there. They trade for DeAndre Washington midweek last week. He's not eligible to suit up. He has to go through the COVID procedures. He should be good to go this week. There's a potentially leads the backfield. Again, I don't know. 
And then if you're just looking really deep, Anthony McFarland has now outcarried Benny Snell, or at least played more than Benny Snell the last two weeks. James Conner, it wasn't the role we quite expected for him. So maybe mm-hmm. just savvy look ahead. Anthony McFarland could be working his way into a timeshare. Any last words on any of those guys? Yeah, I think uh, all of those make sense to me. Maybe one more we can bring up is uh, Damian Harris got hurt, took like a pretty aggressive shot right to the midsection and did not return on a uh, Monday night. And uh, Sony Michelle was activated on Thursday, I believe. Does that mean like he's guaranteed to play this week? No, because he has 21 days to actually return to the field. So we could see more work from Rex Burkhead kind of functioning as like half of each of the three down back rolls. Like Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Half of the running back and half of the pass catching role. So I think Burkhead, is, Burkhead and Michelle are both like on maybe a tier above them, but more in that, uh, more in the Ryan Null tier. Like if you're looking really deep, those are probably the top of the ugliest of ugly names. Yeah, I agree. And to sum up running back position before we move on. So right now we do have Duke Johnson, number one, you're just locking in potential bell cow workload for even one week. And that's worthwhile. Number two is JD McKissick. Again, it's a pretty bad waiver wire week. If you're just looking for some RB three flex production, JD McKissick gets you there through pass catching volume. Gus Edwards, because of the potential role without Ingram, then four and five, not a strong lean between them, but it's Jordan Wilkins and Kalen Balage. Before we move on to the wide receiver position, I want to tell you about a free tool we have on Osmo. It is our odd shopper tool, my favorite tool that I think we have. It's a betting tool, and it lets you look between different bookmakers, find the best betting odds for a variety of books across the market. And just like anything else, you want to find the best price. It's really how we get the best return on our investment long-term. There's a bunch of cool tools over here. You can track your bets. You can get alerts when bets hit a certain price. All of that's on oddshopper.osmo.com. And best of all, it's free. So make sure to check that out. Again, Kyle, wide receiver position, this week 10 waiver wire show, it's a pretty common theme, not a ton of injuries, Basically, the injuries we're looking at for this week, we already knew about last week. It's, it's Kenny Galladay. It's T.Y. Hilton. As far as new injuries, LaVisca Chanel pops up. Preston Williams got carted off. We don't have definitive injury news on that. And unlike running back, this isn't really a position where we see, you know, Calvin Ridley goes down. That means Russell Gage takes the Calvin Ridley, Ridley role. It's not like running back. So it's a little more nuanced. Who are you looking at at the wide receiver position this week on the waiver wire? Would you like me to throw you a breaking news curveball? Hit me. Ben Roethlisberger got placed on the COVID list. Okay, so big Ben on the COVID list. That doesn't really change too much for, I think, our wide receiver waiver wires. but it's a, It does not. It does not. But, uh, oh, man, I would say if you have any of these guys, like, if he doesn't play, I think he's still – it was only a high-risk close contact. If you have any, have any of these guys, like Mason Rudolph is terrible. Don't play any of them. That would be our shorthand analysis. I feel like we could agree on that. 100% agree. Cool. All right. Let's, let's continue moving on. He could still play this week. I have no clue. It's just high risk, close contacts, not a positive test at wide receiver. Maybe perfectly. Maybe you are picking up some of these guys to potentially play over your potentially defunct Pittsburgh Steelers players. I would say at number one, 
the performance we saw from Jacoby Myers is just too good. 14 targets, 169 yards. It's just too good to pass up on if you're going to see the number one receiver role. Nikhil Harry was out with concussion, could return from that, but given how horribly he's played and how well Myers has played in now kind of three consecutive games, I think Myers would still continue to operate as the number one. Nikhil Harry at, at best would be the number two, could even like seed work to Demir Burt. So Myers as the number one receiver on maybe not the best passing team, certainly not, but still a number one receiver. If you can find those on the waiver wire, I think you take them. Number two, Alan Lazard. I think Alan Lazard is perfectly competitive with Jacoby Myers because he's probably the number two receiver. Like we finally saw Marquez Valdez scaling pop off. We've been calling it for weeks and it finally happened on an island game. I still think Alan Lazard is probably a better player given that it took almost like a whole season. It was like, or almost half of the season for Marcus Valdez Gantling to finally have one good game in which I think he was only even targeted four times. He's caught two balls. So I think Alan Lazard probably steps in to be the clear cut number two receiver for an Aaron Rodgers team that has just been immolating their opponents. So Alan Lazard, I think is perfectly competitive with Jacoby Myers. Where do you fall in this split? This is another one where I think both of these guys are fine. I agree with you. I don't have a strong preference between the one and the two. I think you could look to them both and get starting production from them down the stretch. After these two, I think it it drops off a cliff a little bit. There's an interesting situation at Indianapolis. We tentatively have Zach Pascal ranked as our number three waiver claim. I want to caveat this with Michael Pittman could ascend to a larger role. We kind of know that Zach Pascal is a limited player in some fashion, So while we have him number three, which is mainly because of offensive role, I think the reason we don't have him higher is we could see Michael Pittman come in and play a larger role down the stretch. Now, both of these guys aren't even owned in 10% of leagues. So if you personally believe that you want to take the upside with Michael Pittman over Zach Pascal, Zach Pascal certainly has the more definitive role right now, but I couldn't fault you there. I think it's more of a team construction approach. Are you a playoff team that could potentially hold someone on your bench for a few weeks in hopes that there's a wide receiver one? Or do you need production immediately? If that's the case, I think Pascal's the guy. What do you make between the Indianapolis receivers? Yeah, I kind of agree. If you got banged up at wide receiver and you need to lock in, I don't know, let's call it like eight or nine PBR points, Zach Pascal would be the guy. But I I think, I don't know, for for most of my teams, like if you're really looking to get Pascal in the lineup, I don't know, you might be dusted already. So I think Pittman could be a guy, like maybe, maybe not. Maybe you have great running backs and you just took took the short end of the stick on receiver and a wide receiver four or five is all you need. So if that is the case, yeah, Pascal probably locks in more volume. But most of my teams, I'm looking for the the high upside plays. I think like arguably like Denzel Mims would fall into that same category where Perriman outproduced him. But could I see Denzel Mims coming in and putting on a strong finish to the season? Because I believe he actually led the team in targets despite Perriman obviously popping off versus the versus the Patriots. So I think players like Pittman and Mims, maybe just because they're young rookies, we're kind of fascinated with these players. But players like them, Darnell Mooney has kind of already fit this bill where if they stand to gain a larger role, I think they will be more productive than some of these like more dusty old veterans. Like, I don't know, we have like Keelan Cole on the list. I think if you give Mims and Cole the same level of volume, I think Mims would outproduce them. The same thing with Pittman. So I like these like high upside guys who could just pop off at the end of the year, even if for just one or two games. If you get them in your flex that week, it could be the difference between you like advancing in the playoffs. Sammy Watkins owned in almost like exactly half of league. So we'll put him on the list. I think he was like the, maybe one of the great examples of this from a veteran. Cause we typically talk about this with like rookie players. If you're going to get on the field that much with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he's, 
one of, if not like, like I hate to say he's already like the best quarterback ever. My God, he's the best thing since like peak Peyton Manning, who's truly incredible. So if you're going to be on the field as the number two receiver with him, I think Sammy Watkins is like a fine, incredibly high upside flex play in every single week. Sometimes you're going to take two catch 30 yard games. And sometimes you're going to go 150 in a touchdown. Sammy Watkins owned in half of leagues, assuming he is able to play in the coming games is uh, probably should be owned in like 80 to 90% of leagues, honestly. Yeah, he's on his bye this week, but he still makes our list just because I think among the receivers we talked about, very few have the same upside as Sammy Watkins on a week-to-week basis. And unlike Miko Harbin and Demarcus Robinson, we know for a fact Sammy Watkins is not splitting time. He is on the field all of the time with Patrick Mahomes. Miko Harbin, he's, of course, he's, I guess, another player you could look to, owned in 37% of leagues, but I give Watkins the edge just because it seems like he's trending in a positive direction as far as health. We know he's on the field, and that's a big difference between those two. I put Darnell Mooney number six. Again, he's playing a full-time role, seeing a lot of targets in an inefficient Chicago offense. You're going to see big games here and there, but I mean, he's open downfield a lot, and Foles just can't hit him. So yeah, it's a difficult situation for Darnell Mooney. I think you mentioned Denzel Mims. He's a nice add, a little bit deeper for me, just because he's playing on the Jets. Something I never thought I'd see out of you, Kyle, is touting Brashad Perriman and these Denzel Mims Jets receivers, but tis the season. (laughs) It's late. We have injuries. We're going to have to do some of these gross things. One player I want to get your take on before we move to tight end is Richie James. Pops up for an enormous game on Thursday night against Green Bay. So we have Kendrick Bourne on the COVID reserve list, Brandon Ayuk on the COVID reserve list. Both, either, neither, might be back this week. We just straight up don't know. Where do we think Richie James falls into the target pecking order if these guys come back? If these guys come back, I I think he's probably a number three, despite the fact that like he's probably better than Kendrick Bourne. Like Kendrick Bourne has shown nothing other than being a replacement level player, which is fine. He's not bad. He's just not good either. He's perfectly average. Whereas like Richie James actually seems like maybe he is only a specific role player in in an ideal world, like a a Marvin Hall or, or a Darnell Mooney. But like those players can have massive games. And we saw that with Richie James, whereas like I just don't see Kendrick Bourne ever having a massive game. So do I think he should play over Bourne? Yeah, probably. I think he should get more targets than Bourne. But can we guarantee that? No. And I honestly don't even think it's that likely because he was basically only a punt returner until everyone on their team got wiped out. So if those guys return, I think he, he's irrelevant. I don't even think he's worth rostering. If they don't return, I think he's a solid flex play. So in terms of the the depth of players you can go to, I would rank him, I don't know, six, seven, or eight in that Darnell Mooney tier where he has high upside, but it seems like it is so, so contingent on a lot of things going right. For Mooney, it's that his team passes a lot, which is often, but then that those passes come his way, which is less often because they have Robinson and even less often that they're accurate because, you know, they have terrible quarterbacks. So I think Richie James falls into that tier where deep leaks, you can try to add him. I guess maybe he even has like a better value because you'll know come Friday or Saturday, whether you can just cut him for another player. Maybe that's kind of the upside is that you can be pretty definitive if you're starting or cutting him, which is kind of a utility to have. Yeah, it is for sure. So before we move on to tight end, let's sum up the wide receiver position. We have Joby, Jacoby Myers, number one among receivers. Number two is Alan Lazard, more speculative at this point, but just a, a solid role in Green Bay's offense when healthy. Number three, we have a tentative lean towards Pittman over Pascal in Indianapolis based on upside. Four, Perriman, Mims. I don't have a strong take between them, but I'm going to go Perriman at this point. Sure. Five, Watkins. Six, Darnell Mooney. And then if you're just getting deeper and deeper, I'd look to a speculative ad like Richie James. Going to tight end, Kyle. Again, same theme, not many injuries. We have Jack Doyle going down. 
George Kittle was already placed on injured reserve. So some teams are still probably looking for long-term replacements in George Kittle. I particularly went with Jordan Akins last week. That didn't work out. Jordan Akins and basically a one-for-one timeshare with Darren Fells. Who are we looking to at a very bleak position on the waiver wire? The, the position that is tight end in 2020. Yeah, why are people not picking up Jimmy Graham? Like, they're still playing terrible players over Jimmy Graham. And I just don't get it. Like, do I think Jimmy Graham is that good anymore? No, probably not. He's probably been washed for, like, three years or something. Do I think he's seeing, like, more red zone targets than all but one other tight end, or at least it was that way leading into this week, and he scored one. So I'm going to assume that holds. He's a top two or three red zone target, and he's a top, at least entering last week, was the number 12, I believe, tight end target share player. Yeah, on a team that also throws a lot. So... I think Jimmy Graham is a perfectly fine streaming option. And it's not even like he has a good, like you're playing him because he has a good matchup. I think you're playing him every single week. If you got, you know, if you got busted at tight end in the draft or whatever. So I think if you were relying on a Mike Gusecki, for example, you should have cut him weeks ago for Jimmy Graham. And in about half of leagues, you can still make that decision. You can still write that wrong. So I'm taking him probably every week over a lot of the guys you drafted Outside of that, there's an immediate drop-off. Jimmy Graham owned in almost half of leagues, so you might not be able to get him. If not, Trey Burton is maybe going to, like, could split work with Mo Cox, and Cox saw just as many, if not one more target. But both of these guys can thrive on a team that has no receiving talent whatsoever. Like, we're talking about Zach Pascal and rookie Michael Pittman as their, like, starting receiver. So I think they will run a lot of two tight end sets, and we're talking about this because of the loss of Jack Doyle, who had his concussion. That's just another few snaps another few targets that could be split between Burton and Moelle Cox. I think Burton is the preferred play seems just like he would be operating as more of the one a two Cox's one B. So Burton, not ideal. I don't think he comes in that Jimmy Graham tier. There's a drop off, but worthwhile. Number three, I don't know. We keep going back to it. I don't love it, but Logan Thomas just gets a lot of work on one of the worst passing offenses that outside of Terry McLaurin gets almost nothing else done. I think you can still bet on the volume. Alex Smith looked better than he did in his, I believe it was like a week five spot duty behind Kyle Allen. Look better. I, I still think he was like intercepted three times, but he topped 300 yards. So if he's going to at least throw a lot and not, you know, average two yards per attempt, Logan Thomas perennially in play just to disappoint us. I mean, people are going to have to go to Logan Thomas, man. I, I, there are some really bad tight ends like Evan Ingram, a big disappointment this year. I think you probably stick with him based on volume. But you mentioned Kittle. He's a huge loss. So, I mean, Jimmy Graham, if he's owned in your league, which he might be, he's only available in 51% of leagues. I think you start looking at Trey Burton, who's owned in 23% of leagues, but projects to play a pass-catching role potentially without Doyle. It makes a lot of sense. Logan Thomas is someone you could look to as well. Just he has a locked-in role for a team that's been a little disappointing. But if he gets in the end zone, that basically is a success at tight end that week. Yeah. After this, I mean, it gets pretty thin really fast. We have Austin Hooper on our list, who's been dropped by a significant number of teams. He is only owned in 41% of leagues right now. I don't think we're trying to get Cleveland pass catchers on our team at this point in the season, but Hooper, if he's over his appendicitis, he's going to play more of a full-time role than some other guys deep down the list, like Jordan Reed is someone people might look at with George Kittle being out. He's going to be, I think, a timeshare player. He will play a receiving role, so he does have that feather in his cap. But it's still a tenuous situation with Reed coming off the injury himself. Irv Smith is a player who's basically a part-time player in the Minnesota offense. He plays in passing situations, which are not abundant for Minnesota. So he doesn't come in as a preferred play. But those are more of your dark throw tight ends. Anyone else you want to highlight? 
No, I like Irv Smith as a dart throw tight end. Maybe I'm just like infatuated with these like young athletic high draft capital players, but like his role has come up. He was basically non-existent for like four weeks of the NFL season. Now he comes with five, five, one, and four targets. And that one target was, I believe, through 16 pass attempts. But yeah, you absolutely just get dusted when this team is able to have a lead. Have they had a lead a ton this year? No, but they're actually trending up, you know, three and two in their past five games back-to-back wins so yeah you carry a lot of downside risk by playing Irv Smith much more so than you know your Trey Burton's Jimmy Graham's even Logan Thomas's you can really get shut out with like a two target zero catch game but does he have like more upside than like I don't know than maybe even a Trey Burton maybe more upside just because I think he's more talented sure he has more upside we saw he scored twice but outside of that I think it's probably Irv Smith and Jordan Reed as good part-time players but you need things to break right for them I'd be prioritizing Jimmy Graham then I would look to Burton and Thomas Burton with a slight lean just because his offense, despite not being like incredible is so much better than this Washington offense. Then you can, I like, I think between Irv Smith and Hooper, you're basically splitting hairs, both fine players, but run first teams. And they do have backup tight ends that could take some work, which is disappointing. So Graham Burton, Thomas, then it gets ugly. I, I really don't care who you pick up between Hooper, Smith, and Reed. I, I give a slight lean to Smith. I think you give a lean to Hooper. I think both of us say if you're getting that far, oof, maybe look to the trades. I absolutely think you're right. It's pretty gross when you get way deep down there, but that's enough about tight end. We have Jimmy Graham, one, Trey Burton, two, Logan Thomas, three. Pick whoever you prefer if you're going deeper than that. Now, defense, everyone's favorite streaming position on a week-to-week basis It is a pretty good week for streamers, assuming you are not in a very deep league. Like we have Philadelphia, who's owned in 48% of leagues, so they just meet our threshold. They're playing the Giants, so that'd be my number one. We have the New Orleans Saints, owned in 47% of leagues, facing San Francisco. That'd be the number two for us. But again, that's nearly 50% ownership across seasonal leagues. There are some teams that aren't going to be able to get Philadelphia, New Orleans, of course, we like Philadelphia because they're facing Daniel Jones. We like New Orleans because they're facing just a completely depleted San Francisco team. If those two teams are owned in your league, where are you looking at defense? Yeah, so I think one one really deep, sneaky spot. I don't think you talk about this one. It's not the sneaky one. Is first Jacksonville. Like I, I get Luton Lutton looked good, but this is still a team on like their backup quarterback. And really, Gardner Minshew is like, hardly a a starting quarterback like he was essentially a backup last year so arguably like a third string level quarterback you can target him I think Drew Locke is going to be massively overrated because of one good half really wasn't even a good game it was a good half against an Atlanta team that basically had already sealed away a win of course we know Atlanta's ability to uh, completely salt away those wins they did pull it off Drew Locke looked fine in that second half, but he really wasn't good in the first half. And he really hasn't been good at all this season. Las Vegas, a defense that I don't care about their talent. I think they're going to be underlooked if you're like, you know, almost half of teams or almost half of leagues have New Orleans or Philadelphia roster. Green Bay at 37%, 3% Las Vegas. I get it. They're not a like talent rich defense. They're not a defense that you've been playing much this season. But Drew Locke is just not that good. I think you get like a, a better floor than most other streaming defenses when you face off against Drew Locke. I think you're right. And the Raiders defense is getting healthier. They're expecting to get Damon Arnett, their first on draft pick back. He's been sidelined since week three. So that should help them going up against this, a putrid Drew Locke-led Denver Broncos who gets there basically on garbage time every single week. Yeah. But I'm with you. To finish up defense, again, if you can get Philadelphia or New Orleans, they're the number one and number two just with their matchups against bad quarterbacks. Green Bay slots in at number three, but again, owned in 37% of leagues. There's a chance you might not be able to get Green Bay. And if that's the case, looking to Las Vegas going against Drew Locke, 
could be the ticket to you winning your week. 3% owned, facing Denver and Drew Locke. I think that's a strong way to go at defense. Of course, I think the number one waiver claim, just to sum this up across positions for me, is Duke Johnson. Do you have anyone else you'd like to highlight, but Duke Johnson's number one for me? Now, Duke Johnson is clearly the guy, like, even if it is just one week, I don't think there's any other running back or even wide receiver that you could lock in, you know, RB1 or wide receiver one production for a single week outside of Duke Johnson, where if he's going to get all the touches on a, on a pretty effective Houston offense, you just you just jam that in a wide receiver. There are some interesting upside plays. I think you are trying to do anything you can do to get either Lazard or Myers, and that's it. And Jimmy Graham, people just like, go pick up Jimmy Graham. It's like ugly tight end one production week in and week out. It's so stable. Just do it. I agree. That'll do it for us. Thank you guys for watching the waiver wire show. Of course, if you missed this on YouTube or you just don't want to keep your phone open in your pocket, if you're not a YouTube premium, check out our podcast network. We are available everywhere that you can possibly get podcasts. So anytime you want a little more convenience, check that out. Otherwise make sure you stick around. We have shows every day throughout all of the days and you can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Kajeski. He is Kyle Dvorak at Kyle Tweets here. Thank you, guys. We'll see you again next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.